Welcome to the Assemblée Dance Studio podcast, your go-to source for bite-sized lessons in growing and running your dance studio. I'm your host, Claire O'Shea, and I'm a dance studio owner and business coach, helping you grow your dance studio simply and successfully so you can reach more students, grow your business, and become the go-to dance studio in your area. Want to grab a free copy of my Dance Studio Growth Marketing eBook? Sign up for a free copy today of the ebook 97 Simple Strategies to Grow Your Dance Studio by going to assembledancestudiocoaching.com forward slash marketing ebook. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of my episodes released weekly. I'm so excited to be bringing you this really, really awesome conversation I had with the founder of Tutu School, Genevieve Custer-Weeks. So in this chat, we really dive into how she started her studio, how she's grown her studio, and the passion that she has for early childhood education and dance, and how that has really led her to success in her business. But for those who don't know about her, I'm going to share a little bit about her now. So as you go into the chat, you have a bit of background information. So Genevieve Custer-Weeks was born and raised in Madison, Wisconsin. She received her early ballet training there and took part in her first dance productions in the middle of her parents' living room. At the age of 15, Genevieve moved to Chicago to study at the School of Ballet Chicago and that same year became a founding member of the Ballet Chicago Studio Company. In addition, Genevieve supplemented her training with study at the San Francisco Ballet School, American Ballet Theatre and with Susan Farrell at the Kennedy Center. A contract with the Oakland Ballet brought Genevieve to the San Francisco Bay Area. Beginning in 2006, Genevieve began performing as a freelance artist, dancing principal and soloist dancing principal and soloist roles throughout North America, and started dreaming of opening her own boutique school that would sell that would celebrate the things that she loved most about ballet. During a break in her performance schedule, Genevieve's husband, Andrew, finally asked, why wait? And Tutu School was born. Since the founding of that first initial studio, Tutu School has grown into a collection of more than 40 boutique ballet schools all over the US and Canada. And Genevieve, who retired from performing in 2012, now divides her time between Tutu School and her life with Andrew, a photographer, and their three adorable kids. If you, again, haven't followed Genevieve, go over and follow her at, at Tutu School at, or at Tutu Genevieve on all of her social platforms. She shares some amazing information about the schools in general and about her life as a business owner and mom. And it's so uh, I'm so excited to be able to share this chat with you today. So let's dive straight into the conversation. So thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Genevieve. I'm so excited to chat with you and talk all about your amazing school. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So for those of you, uh, for those people who are listening, um, if they haven't heard of you or not sure who you are, can you please tell me a little bit about you and I guess how you first started in the industry? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the founder and CEO of Tutu School, and Tutu School is a collection of boutique ballet schools for very young children. We're currently um, in the United States and soon to be in Canada with um, with 60 locations that are either open or somewhere in the process of opening. Um, but I was a ballet dancer myself and danced professionally for, for many years. And then sort of, I would say in the, the last phase of my career, I was freelancing. And so in between gigs, I'd started teaching at schools where I lived in the San Francisco Bay area. And one of those schools put me in charge of the, the pre-ballet division at their school. And I just really fell in love with teaching 
preschool age dancers and, and felt like, you know, it kind of takes being a special kind of, of crazy as well as having a special kind of magic to really engage those kids and to, to fall in love with teaching those kids. Um, but that it was really meaningful that I really felt like it, it hit on everything that I loved and believed in most about ballet, which is, is really just fundamentally giving kids access and space to get in touch with music and, um, and the creativity that that opens up inside of them. And that I really just sort of started feeling like, okay, I think this is like my calling is to make sure that I'm being a part of making space for kids to do that. And at the same time, the sort of entrepreneurial part of my brain that was maybe uh, mostly asleep at the moment, uh, started seeing that it was like, okay, these classes for these very young dancers at these traditional dance schools are full. They have waiting lists. Um, they're really in demand. This is still really considered a milestone moment for a lot of kids and families is, you know, when is this child going to go take their first ballet lesson? And yet at most traditional dance schools, they're sort of, it's neglected. It's like an afterthought. It's like, who's going to go teach the, the three-year-olds on a Saturday morning. And they're also maybe taking classes in kind of like a dingy old warehousey type studio, like cavernous and intimidating. And, um, so I just started, started noticing all of these things and formulating this idea of, you know, what if, what if there was a, a boutique style ballet school where that was all you did, where every aspect from the branding and marketing of the school to the training for the teachers, the way the space looked and felt when you walked in, the size of it. Um, and then, you know, of course, most importantly, the curriculum itself was really tailored um, and catered specifically to very young dancers in a really developmentally appropriate way, um, but also in a really magical way. And so um, I, I told my husband that I thought that's what I wanted to do when I retired from performing and sort of famously now in our family, he said, why wait? <laughs> and so we started looking at spaces and it was one of those things where it was like, before you knew it, we'd signed the lease and opened the first one in San Francisco and, and Tutu School was born. We've since started franchising, but that's how the first one opened. That is incredible. And I think that, you know, a lot of people listening could really connect with the fact, you know, like you said, you you have the idea and then it kind of snowballs and before you know it, you're signing a lease and you're like, oh my gosh, like how did this happen? Um, but I also so agree that in maybe as well, I think it, uh, it seems in general, I think to be um, a bit better now, but I think that um, the preschool classes were always sort of the, the one thing that people didn't want to teach and the one thing that um, it just was a little bit more of an afterthought. But similarly to you, that's always been my passion that young age group and I actually have like a bachelor of early childhood education so you know I've always had an interest in that younger group and I probably am a little crazy too and have enjoyed you know that performative aspect within the class where you know if you if you act the way you do in a three-year-old's class with teenagers they'd literally like they'd turn on you so it's so true it's so true but I think it's so exciting yeah to hear that you really think about the whole process because like you said, it's such a, um, a like a milestone mo moment for a lot of, and I would say a big portion of children. And so, you know, really curating it to, uh, you know, from the look of it as well is something that is so, um, I don't think that's done a lot, but I think that, you know, that's really powerful and amazing. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's definitely, that's our goal is that it really is this 
total experience, right? It's everything from however we first, you know, came into the awareness of, of whoever the family is, whether it's like a postcard they picked up at their story time or, you know, an ad that they saw, or we happen to be, you know, at their, um, you know, their favorite library or coffee shop or bookshop, like hosting an event all the way through when they actually walk into our studio and, you know, every detail from the, the color of paint on the walls to the artwork that they see and the books that are waiting there for them to read. And then of course, of course, most importantly, you know, the teachers themselves and the curriculum and the class but that it really is the, the total experience. And I think that, um, that that that's always, because we've known that's been really important from the beginning, that it be the whole thing. And we've known that from when we had one location, it's actually, you know, it's it's made it easier as we've grown to all these other locations to to just expand that and, and show other people how, how important it is to do it there to do schools too. Yeah, definitely amazing. And um, my next question was about like, how did it start but you've definitely already covered that which is amazing so I guess I'll ask you a different question in that you know in the first few years of owning any business there's always a lot of challenges is there something that you know you felt was a really big challenge that you overcame or even potentially you know when you said like you started your second location what's something that you realized that was potentially like lacking or was a challenge before you were able to then move into the franchises a really good question. I think, you know, the number one thing I'm so glad. So we opened two locations before we ever franchised. And, and now we, we have a third that's still, you know, owned by Chuchu School, um, the company, we call them corporate locations. But that sounds, that sounds so businessy and not very magical. But so there are three basically that, you know, that I still own. And then, and then the rest are schools that I've helped other people open as franchises. And opening that second one was so educational. And we learned so much from doing that. I, I just think that, um, there's a lot you don't realize until you you do try and translate your idea or you try and replicate it. And so I think, you know, if I had to go back and do it again, I would have opened the first one and developed the program with the idea right away that I was going to scale. And I, and I would have, I, I think there's, and I tell business owners now, I think there's no downside in that. There's, there's absolutely no downside because even if you end up just having that one location, the systems and the, the processes that you put in place and, and all the materials you develop and the way you are thoughtful about why you're doing what you're doing. Um, that's going to make your existing business so much stronger. And then if you do go ahead and, and scale in any way, having all of that already developed um, would be, have been a huge plus because the way we did it was fine, but we ended up sort of having to step back and evaluate the learnings of opening up a second one um, and figure out and, and, and took some time to test things out too and figure out, okay, what do we need to give somebody else so that they can open their own to-do school based on, on what we saw and when we tried to do it again. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. And like you said, there is there is no negative. So for people listening, if you know they might have no interest in ever opening another franchise, and and that's probably like most people's thought. But if they, you know, if they if we all thought about it in relation to our businesses, it would really assist with creating a more cohesive kind of well-rounded business. Probably amazing. So yeah my next question for you. So you talked about, you know, you started your second location and then you then started the franchise, but what made you decide like once you had your, your corporate locations, I know we'll just, we'll use that phrase <laughs> that you <laughs> were wanting to then franchise and like grow your business in that way versus, you know, I know of other studios who have, you know, maybe more community locations or they might run in a different format. 
Yeah, no, it's a, that's a really good question too. I think it was opening a second location and realizing both, both having sort of a little bit of a reality check in what was required, you know, that, it, that opening up a second location, knowing, you know, how much work that was to staff more than one location, to have two leases, to have, you know, two sets of payrolls, you know, all of that, there, there was a little bit of a coming back down to earth about, okay, so maybe all of the spots that I've looked at on a map and thought there could be a two-two school, there might, that might be a little bit more work to scale to those than I'd anticipated, but it was also the success of the second one and realizing how well it did. Um, you know, even though it was, it was pretty close to the San Francisco location. That was the first one we opened. It was, it was just across the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin, but they were very different communities. One was suburban, one was urban, um, and they both did really well. And so it was more the sense of, okay, I, I really think that these could be everywhere and there's no way that I could open them all myself, you know, you, you know, setting aside the reality check of, of, you know, settling into what it means to own more than one and, and evaluating that, even if, if that wasn't true, there was no way, you know, I, I could do more than just even a, a broader community of choo-choo schools when I really started to wrap my, my head around what the, what the true potential was, which was that I felt like they could be everywhere. They could be everywhere. There were children and families. And so then I was really lucky that um, one of my best friends had, had successfully franchised her business. It was a, a bridesmaid's dress boutique called Bella Bridesmaid. Um, and she went on to sell it. But at that time, I, I just watched her scale her business that way. And I, I truly don't think that I probably would have had franchising occur to me as a way to scale. Maybe similar to you when someone mentioned it to you, like franchising to me was, you know, like McDonald's and Starbucks. Yeah. And Starbucks isn't a franchise anymore, but it, you know, like it was food, it was food franchises and um, maybe fitness, um, but things that just sort of didn't seem like what I would associate my brand with. Um, and, but I, but her, her brand, you know, was, was a really great example of something that was a non-traditional franchise, but that was a way in which she brought in partners, um, who helped her scale. And so I was really lucky to have that as sort of my roadmap. And that's, that's what led us to take that next step. I think like, it's really interesting. Like you say that, because I think probably the general population think about it. Like you said, we think of McDonald's, we think of like, um, well, in Australia, we have like shop supermarkets like Coles and Woolworths, mm-hmm. um, like Kmart, Target, all of those kind of places. And I get with with that comes a level of like professionalism, definitely. But I feel like it brings a level of like coldness in it in a way, like a like a there's not as that connection and warmth. So it's like it, there's a bit of a hurdle in in terms of just what you're thinking about in relation to then um mm. applying it to other more can like more like a, a dance school is a definitely much more like warm and um connected place so it's so fantastic yes. to hear that it can work with you as well and I know um for those people listening I know you touched on it at the start but you know once you started that um second location for you and then thought about franchising obviously it probably didn't feel very quick to you at the time, but you've had such amazing growth over that time period. So could you talk to our listeners a little bit about, you know, how quickly it's grown and how many people are a part of the Tutu School family now? Sure. Yeah. It is one of those things where it's like, yes, now it, looking back, it seems fast. And during, during the, the growth, it did not seem uh, so quick at, at different moments. At moments it felt fast, at others it didn't. I think, so we, the first Tutu School will be 14 years old this coming February, February of 2022. And then we actually, I 
um, was telling someone else that I was in my social media memories today. And today is the um, eighth anniversary of signing our first franchise. <laughs> so wow, there was, congrats. I know, thank you. Um, so th- there, w- there was, you know, a six year gap in there from when we started the first, open the doors on the first one. It was about two-ish years before we opened the second one, year and a half or so. And then, you know, another full four years um, before we really started franchising. Um, and the, And so- I think that that gap there was a couple of things that was us like really trying to figure out again, those learnings I talked about and how to organize all of that information about how do you actually give somebody all the tools they need to open up their own teacher school and to do it successfully. And then we took so much time doing that. And what I sort of hadn't anticipated was how hard it was going to be to find the right first person. We had a couple people who we, um, like we're really excited about who ended up getting, you know, a little bit scared and didn't want to be the first. And we had a couple of people who really wanted to be the first and who we felt a little nervous about because it felt so important for that first owner to be the right sort of avatar since they were going to represent what, who a tutu school owner was for everybody else and that we really get it right. So it took a, a little bit. And then we signed that first franchise location with an amazing owner eight years ago today. And in that time, we've grown from the two schools we had at the time, that first franchise location, um, up to now we have 60 locations that are, are open or opening um, in some process, in some part of the process of opening around the country and in Canada. So, and you know, I, I'd say the growth has been pretty steady from there. It, it was, you know, a, a few locations at first in the first couple of years, and then we'd have years where there, there'd be a lot of growth. And what's been really interesting about the way we've grown is that a lot of our growth has been from owners who already have one wanting to own more. So like that first owner I mentioned, she has seven now. Our second owner actually has seven too. Um, other owners have anywhere from, you know, two to five. And then some, some owners have one and have plans to expand and, and others don't. So it's nice though that that's helped us. We're at 60 locations, but we're not at 60 owners. It's nice because it means that our community of owners still feels very tight knit um, and that we're, we're still a pretty, you know, close family of, of partners, which is, is, I think, really special and unique. Yeah, that's like amazing. I'm just, I think for people listening, if I didn't make it, if you you can't see that I made a face that someone had seven (laughs) locations, that's incredible. So that in itself would be just, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, So fantastic. And like, I know from the outside that again, 60 locations over the eight, eight years, like from the outside, it seems so fast but I can imagine at the time it was like you know like you said there was periods where there was really like slower growth and then there was periods where you really almost you know were waiting for the next person so um but it's so exciting and congratulations and I know currently like you said um that there is locations in the U.S. and Canada we touched on this a bit before we started the show but I, I you don't have international uh, tutu schools yet but is it something that you know you consider in the future or 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 not just because of, you know it would be difficult for you to have um that sort of the touch points that you do with the current yeah. studios it's definitely something we're open to and we get you know we get interest um you know, on a fairly regular basis from, from a lot of different places, which is exciting. Um, and so what we're really looking for, I mean, the, the reason why we ended up going into Canada was that we found the right partner there because it does usually, if it's going to be worth it for both sides to do it, it's really going to be a commitment, you know? So we wouldn't, for example, want to go into a new country with someone who is just looking to do one studio, um, you know, for it to be worth their time and ours, since it is going to be usually traveling a little bit further, a different set of laws, making sure we get all of our ducks in a row on a legal front, all of those things too um you really want to make sure that 
both sides are like, yes, we're doing this. You know, this is actually opening up a new market and not kind of just opening up one new studio. Um, and obviously that's not going to be the right fit for everybody. So that's a big part of it. And then also making sure that it really, you know, translates. Um, in some instances, literally, <laughs> you know, to, but, but that's been a, a sort of a question too, in some of the, the countries that we've looked at, at opening up in is, you know, would a, a very creative movement-based enrichment-based program like ours be a good fit in every country where maybe parents are looking for um, a more structured ballet program, or they, you know, they feel like it needs to be more of like a sort of recognition, or you graduate from this level based on these skills, which is not what Chuchu School is. You know, we're very clearly um, the enrichment piece where you start laying down a, a basic foundation so that then when you're ready to graduate into more formal study, you're ready and you have that and you don't have bad technical habits and, and you have a good solid technical foundation. But we've mostly been focused on building up a love of the art form, exposure to it through, um, you know, again, enrichment with this, this these layers of a music education, arts education, a dance education. That's our primary focus and purpose. And I can see just from a few of the places we've explored already that that might not be what, what everyone's in interested in even and even though it's very much what's important to us yeah that's super interesting as well because I didn't even like of course there's a difference in the way that people approach preschool classes like I think potentially similarly in Australia or maybe there's a bit more of um, a mix in Australia with like my classes are, are more of a similar style to yours I think but I do know of uh, preschool classes and early childhood classes that are much more like structured and focused which again is not something that I have um, but it doesn't take anything away from those classes so um, and I can completely understand you like you're saying if someone you know you want to make it worth your while if you're traveling on a plane like up to you know 10 20 hours depending on where you're going so that makes complete sense but it's so exciting to know that the opportunity is still out there for people and um, absolutely yeah a different adventure for you yes right exactly I, I always say I'd like to just keep opening to just schools all the I love to travel so all the places I want to go to and that's a very extensive list so. <laughs> that's amazing I'm open to all of it awesome uh, I know I think I've seen on Instagram that you have like a map of the U.S. where you have all your um all your classes yeah. so you'd have to get a bigger world one we'd have to get a globe yeah no our it was so sweet at our last the last summit we were able to have pre-pandemic we just finally had our our first in-person summit um uh, last no two weeks ago now but um we our previous one pre-pandemic had been two years ago in Chicago and at that summit the owners gave me this really cute little like you know pinboard map and they gave me these sparkly pink push pins to to put in all the locations and, and all the owners that were there put their locations in on the map and so now it's become a ritual that every time we sign a new one we go and add a pin and I actually I had to order more pins <laughs> when we signed our 60th we finally ran out of pins so I figured that was a good problem to have that is a great problem and such a thoughtful gift so lovely I love the um because I've seen it in your Instagram as well and I love like the visual I don't know, the visual element of it, just looking and being like, wow, because I guess for you as well, like, you know, you know, you have 60 locations and like, you know, you're, you know, working day to day to help maintain those and, you know, do your side of the work. But sometimes like I it's like knowing how many students you have because you don't have them sitting all in front of you all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's really it is so fun yeah to see that so reach. Fun. You're right to have the, the visual of it. And it the other thing that's fun about it is today when I had 
the social media memory come up, my husband says something all the time. My husband, Andrew says, you know, choo-choo nation, we're going to build it. And I, and I, I kind of had started thinking of that as something he said this far in the process. And he actually, he had, one of my social media memories was that he'd shared the announcement. And he said with that very first franchise, he said, choo-choo nation, you know, and at that time, all three of the locations were like, really clustered together in the Bay Area. So there was nothing to make anyone think there was actually going to be a Tutu Nation. But it was fun to see that uh, even eight years ago, that's what he was calling it. So I, I like having the map as a visual representation of that too. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, you already talked about how you got your first franchisee. But I guess if people are listening, oh, and do you mind sharing with the audience what you call your franchisees? I love it. Sure. Oh, we call them, we call them a couple of things, but one of the one of the things we call them is franchise arenas, <laughs> and we also call them um, we just call them juju school owners too instead of franchisees. Yes. I think, but I got a real kick out of the franchise arenas when I saw you call them. <laughs> I was like, that's so funny. Um, so, if someone was considering joining the juju school family, how would they know if they would be a good fit for you know opening their own location or sort of starting that journey if they wanted to? Yeah, I love that question. It, so we, it, what I love about our community of owners is that everyone comes from completely different backgrounds, different things have drawn them to this. So there isn't when we kind of talk about like the avatar of a to-do school owner, it isn't, you know, this should be your background experience. This should be, you know, sort of your age and demographic. Like there's none of that. I love how diverse our group of owners is. We have um, some owners who dance professionally, you know, we're principal dancers in ballet companies. We have a couple owners who actually open their tutu schools while still dancing professionally. Um, and then we have a lot of owners who came to tutu school not having any dance experience, but just loved the idea and the concept. A lot of those owners maybe were already parents and that was part of what was drawing them to it. Um, you know, or maybe they had a background in something like marketing or um, finance that was leading them to be interested in, in entrepreneurialism. But so when we've kind of tried to identify like what makes a great tutu school owner, it typically isn't a specific skill set or again, you know, specific work experience or background. It's really more about um, a sense of entrepreneurialism, frankly. Like we're really looking for people who want to own their own business, who want to be entrepreneurs. Um, they just believe that it's going to be a much better uh, more fulfilling adventure by doing it with us, right? So that they feel like the support of having a franchise community, it means that they they get to have their own business, but they're not going to be on their own. And so that's really huge for us is, you know, we're not looking for people who are like, okay, so just tell me what to do. We want to give them those levels of, of support and all those tools so that they feel like they have so much support. Um, but we also want them to have that like drive and hustle. Um, we talk a lot about momentum, being able to generate your own momentum. And, um, and I, I think we're getting pretty good at really making sure that we're having really honest conversations with people about that from the beginning. So they do truly feel like it's going to be a partnership because it's, a unique relationship. Um, franchisees are not employees. They're not clients. They're, we're, we're both in some instances kind of telling them what to do and how to do it. And we're also really trying to take care of them. They're sort of this hybrid um, relationship. And so we're really trying to find people who, yes, see the value and the support that we're providing, which we, we think is really extensive, but also really have a lot of initiative and drive on their own. And then the most important thing is we just want them to be in love with and believe in our mission. We're a very mission-driven company. We, you know, kind of put everywhere we can um, in the organization, the fact that we exist to, to make space in the lives of children for creativity and joy. 
And at the end of the day, that's like, that's it. That's the name of the game, full stop. And the rest, you know, everything else flows from that. So um, that's the most important thing is that we really want to make sure that they, they really believe that and that it's, it's a really important piece of, of what they do and everything that they do. Yeah, that's so amazing. And I think that um, very interesting to know. I didn't realize that some people started without dance experience as well. So the, you know, the brand obviously is so strong and that people can see that they you know, would be able to hire a dance teacher or whatever yeah, works for yeah. them to be able to start, which is so amazing um yeah they do they if they if they don't have dance experience they do have to hire a master teacher to to bring to training with them you know obviously but um yeah it is it's always I I didn't necessarily think that would be the case in the beginning either and and it it definitely has been so that's that's fun to see yeah and I I think I'm thinking about it you know people can still have an appreciation and a love for ballet and the arts without having the, the privilege of doing it for their entire life so I think that's super super amazing and you touched on it um a little bit when you were just speaking then but aside from the uh you know wonderful support or, or maybe it is the reason why do you think studio owners like you know prefer to join a community like tutu school than kind of go it on their own and um start from scratch by themselves yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's like, I think it's a really important question for anyone who's buying a franchise to ask themselves, right? Like, why am I, mm. why am I doing this instead of doing it on my own? Um, and so I think it's an important question for us to always be answering too, because we want to make sure that we are providing, you know, value and support on a level that makes it make sense for all of our owners. So, you know, I think, again, we're looking for people who feel like they couldn't do it on their own, but they see a ton of value in having a curriculum that's already developed, having a a full training program in that curriculum, knowing that someone else is going to be focused on growing that curriculum, making sure that it's evolving, continually looking for sort of new layers of support um, to, to, you know, layer into that curriculum. And I think that it's also that they want to know that they're not going to have to reinvent the wheel every time that they, you know, want to put an ad out there. <laughs> Is there a template for that? Can I just plug my, my information into that? I think that they want, um, and that can be true of anything, right? So it's not necessarily marketing. Maybe it's recital choreography. Um, it, it is things like, oh, you figured out a, a way to design a beautiful studio and make it magical. Um, how do I do that? You know, and, and, and on down from things like teacher training to music licensing and some of the ins and outs of just sort of running a business. So I think that it's a combination of really believing in the brand and thinking that the strength of our brand is going to elevate work that they would otherwise be doing on their own and that our our commitment to the mission and the way we articulate the mission is going to really elevate the work that they would otherwise be doing on their own. And then I also think it's this sense of like, why would I reinvent the wheel if I could otherwise tap into this whole sort of library of resources and tools. Um, and then I can be focusing my time on the things that I want to be focused on. Right. You know, like then I can, we have owners who they're like, actually, I didn't know this, but I think I love graphic design. So like, if you're going to help me with these other things, I have my guidelines and, and I know what my team presets are and stuff, but I could, maybe it would be fun for me to work on, you know, like a ticket template for the next recital, or we have owners that like, they really love coming up with, you know, choreography and themes for the performances. They can kind of pick and choose where they want to put their time and their attention and their resources and then know they're going to have support for the rest yeah I think that that's really um just amazing and I know I know for you know every studio owner listening if they or even if they're considering starting like they will there is times where it feels so lonely and you're not really sure what the right thing to do and yeah of course eventually you know you might figure it out but 
um, joining something like Tutu School and having that support and that community, I can imagine, is just a faster way of getting there. And it's like you said, you can focus on the areas that really matter most to you. Um, and then you get support and guidance in the other areas, which is amazing. And like what some other studios have to work for for years and years and years to be able to get to that point. So that is phenomenal. And um, you touched on it a little bit before, but, you know, we've talked about um, the support that they get from 2 School, probably from, you know, the, the head office or corporate, whatever you want to refer to it as. And then, you know, all of those other additional things that you mentioned. But I know um, for me personally, when I talk to my other student owner friends and people listening that, you know, in-person events are something that are really so magical and so such a connecting and kind of energetic experience. And I saw recently you had a 2 School retreat. Now, normally... I imagine it's a little different when um, you've been in a pandemic and haven't had to um, been able to meet in person, but is that something that you usually do every year? And, and what does that entail? Yeah, we do. We do that annually. And I, you know, and I should say that community of owners, that's one of the biggest things that I think anybody gets when they join, you know, for any business, probably a franchise system and probably also the, the, the number one thing that they should really be looking at when it comes to the franchise community they're joining, like who are the other owners that make up that community? because that was, and I, I freely admit all the time, that was something I completely sort of, that that was not part of why I was franchising Tutu School was to either be a part of all these entrepreneurial journeys, which has since become one of my favorite things, or to um, create this community of owners, um, which I have come to believe is one of the greatest assets people buy into when they buy a Tutu School. I was really just franchising Tutu School to scale the business. But that community of owners is such a huge source of support because anyone who's been an entrepreneur or been in business knows how lonely it can be sometimes. And so to just sort of have this community that's your advisory board, whether it is that they're crowdsourcing or brainstorming things, or whether it's just knowing that there's this whole community of other, you know, mostly women in our case, um, but business owners that are in the same shoes as you is, is huge. And so I feel like that's a lot of what our, our summits are about. We do try and do them annually. And it's just, a, it's, we, we obviously we have, we have panels and we have speakers and we have different topics that we try and dive in on. And it's kind of a mix of having presentations where we're all learning something and having sessions where we're sharing things and having sessions where we're crowdsourcing things and, you know, and talking through things. Um, it, it's a mix of all of those things, but really the most important component is just to be together. So we did do a digital one where we were waiting to be able to gather in person again. Um, and it, that was, even that felt really good, you know, but, but there's nothing like being able to be in person because it is just so special to get to, to, I think it's a very unique thing to be an entrepreneur and still be a part of a community. You know, I think that's yeah. a really hard needle to thread. And so it's just something that we, we want to sort of celebrate every chance we get. Yeah, because I think, like you said, it's, if it's very unique and it really is because even if, um, you know, people are a part of other kind of business groups, sort of communities or, you know, masterminds and things like that, there is there is a point where sometimes other people are still um, their competitor, probably in physical distance and, you know, sometimes not. But I know with like with Tutu School, like that would be probably a thing that you have to take into consideration. You're not going to let people open up like next door to each other. So yeah. Yeah. really there is no, there is no competition. There is one, you know, goal, one mission and, you know, everyone would have their individual like wishes and other goals as well. But to have the support and 
um, you know, the power of all of those minds coming together would be probably an amazing experience, I can imagine. Yeah, it's really, like you said, because there are already sort of guardrails in place to make sure that everyone has their protected territory and, you know, we, we wouldn't serve anyone to put them too close together. We are just set up really ideally for collaboration. And so, um, because the competition is, has hopefully been removed. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really unique, it's a really unique situation. And that's, again, something that, that, that frankly caught me by surprise because it wasn't my prime motivation in franchising. I, you know, thought it was, I was focused on the fact that it was like, I was going to share how, what, how we had done what we'd done. <laughs> and I, I couldn't really even imagine how valuable it would become to sort of have this, this think tank of owners as we grew that would then, you know, be a part of that sharing and that support too. And, and they really, they really are now they're a huge, they play a huge role. Amazing. And so if someone was listening and they were like, actually, this sounds amazing. And it's something you know, they might have been contemplating the idea of um, starting a studio by themselves or, you know, they're not loving going it on their own and they would consider wanting to consider opening their own version of Tutu School or sorry, not their version, their own Tutu School through you guys. What do you think, you know, you talked about the community and support. Is there one thing that studio owners love the most? Is it like the templates or is it, is it, is it the support? We've already answered that question. I think it's a support, but I think probably in a way, you know, I think it's a, it's a sort of a blend of all the support. It's a support we give them from, from the Choo school office. <laughs> we, we call them the twirl quarters, but <laughs> my uh, Taylor, who's our franchise coordinator dubbed that term. I usually just call it Choo HQ, but she calls it the twirl quarters. Um, but it's, so it's a blend of the support that comes from here, but then also that community support that we talked about. But I think what, what's maybe difficult to fathom if you haven't sort of been through it are the times when you really need it. So I think it's, it can sometimes be this like boost when you're growing or when you're, you know, trying to kickstart some momentum, or it can be, you know, troubleshooting when you're going through something, but having just gone through the depths of the pandemic together, I think underscored for all of us that myself included, I would never have wanted to go through that alone. You know, that we, it was so, I've never seen the value of franchising more than in that moment. Um, because we had so many resources at our disposal in terms of being able to see, even though we were all dealing with different guidelines and different situations in our community, we could also see what was working and what wasn't at different places in our community. We could really, um, you know, test out and try things and say like, hey, outdoor classes are working over here. You know, we're going to try some curriculum ideas and how we can adapt classes for social distancing with outdoor classes. If that's the only way you're able to operate right now in your community, let's get that going, you know, and, and, and things like that, as well as, um, really just to sort of have, we kind of saw it coming a little bit before some of the other um, schools, you know, uh, maybe did just because we had schools all over the country. So even, you know, some of our schools that otherwise maybe would have been caught really off guard because we already had schools that were in communities where this was becoming a big concern um, and putting it on our radar so we could start coming up with a plan for online classes that really allowed us to pivot very quickly. Um, that was a huge advantage, um, you know, not just being kind of in our own local bubble, but really always having feelers out there to to know what was happening in other parts of the country and, and, and a little bit the world. Um, and so I think those were really valuable tools, but then the most significant and important piece of it was just that we were in it together. I, I cannot imagine having gone through that without, again, this community of people um, so that it didn't feel so lonely when it, when it was really very difficult. And, and what we really found was that 
our, our mission had never been tested more either, but during that time when we just kind of kept finding a way to be like, okay, now we're showing up for our students online, you know, overnight we switched from classes in the studio to tomorrow morning they're online. Um, and now we're, now we're going to do it out, you know, outdoors. Okay. Now we're going to figure out mass distance classes. You know, we, we just kept figuring it out so that we could make sure we could keep showing up for these kids. And we kept hearing over and over again from families, like this is the one thing we've been able to do throughout the pandemic. One way or another, you have kept showing up for us. And so you've been this constant, even when everything else had to change. And I think being able to see that together and to keep reminding each other of that and to keep kind of pointing everyone back to the mission. It just felt um, it, it felt much more not just survivable, but really empowering and actually inspiring because of the community we're a part of. And we all kind of not that we're out of the pandemic yet, but have gotten to this point in the pandemic feeling like, okay, we would never have chosen to go through that, of course, because you know it's been so difficult and because it's been a terrible, difficult thing for the world. But none of us would really choose to go back to being the versions of us that we were before it either, because we've learned so much about ourselves as as leaders, as business owners, and as members of this community. And, you know, I think when you're thrown something like we were, that's, that's the, the most you can hope for, right? Is that you come out of it, like as a, a, a better version of yourself that you wouldn't want to trade, you know, even if you wouldn't have chosen to, to get there the way you, you did. Yeah, definitely. And I think the way you're talking about it, like I can attest that, you know, I'm very lucky that I have friends in the industry and you know we shared a lot of resources but you know there was times where it did feel really lonely and I can imagine you know having that support of those people around you would have been like you said not only felt like it was survivable but even empowering and inspiring to really transition your classes into different formats that potentially it wasn't before um, and I think like you said even though obviously if, if we could have no pandemic we would choose that but you know, that yeah. it's not going away. So it's okay to say like, it's taught us different things and that, you know, your classes and a class is just much more malleable than you ever probably thought possible. So just totally. really incredible, really incredible. Now, if, you know, for people listening, um, I love like a little bit of a nosy insight into someone's favorite thing so do you currently have like a favorite book or a podcast or an app that you're loving that potentially helps you run your studio or even just something that you're loving personally that you'd like to share I am such a podcast junkie so we um always share sort of every month we'll send out notes to all of our franchisees where we share you know what our our you know what we're reading what we're listening to what we're watching um and I have a, I have a few sort of regular podcasts. I'm a huge, like this is not original, but I'm a huge fan of how I built this. Um, I, I get so much inspiration from, from all of those stories. Um, and then I, one of my favorite books that I'm putting on the, the, the it's a sneak peek I'm putting on the list for franchisees to read um, for next month is, um, one of my favorite books had been, um, uh, oh my gosh, why is this going out of my head? Um, it's Greg McEwen. It's a discipline pursuit of less is the subtitle. Oh my I, gosh. I've not heard it. Okay. Well, his new book, the one I'm putting on the list is oh, effortless, okay. Okay. but the, his original one. Oh, 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 okay. The first one is essentialism, the discipline oh. pursuit of less. And it's not, 
it's not, that's not new. It's, it's a few years old, but like was life-changing for me because it was really a, about something I do believe a lot in and have a lot of trouble doing, which is like continuing to figure out what your highest point of contribution is, what the highest points of contribution for other people around you are and focusing on those. And his new book is meant to be sort of the follow-up to that, which is effortless. And I'm really excited to, to dive into that, but I'm always kind of collecting um, you know, like, okay, let's all read this together. Or let's listen to this. Cause I just, I, I get so much out of different inspiration points like that. And I, I love being able to dissect them with, uh, with our owners. Amazing. And like, just on a practical sense, is there like apps that you have that are specific to Tutu school that, uh, your franchise, uh, franchise arenas use, or is it more like, you know, you oh, will sure. love to use Canva or you will love to use, you know, something that is out there for everyone to be able to share? Or is it the special element of Tutu School that you have your own one? So we both, um, we do, you know, we do use programs like Canva. We love Canva and we have, you know, our team set up on Canva with all of our team presets and we love that. So we have lots of platforms that that we all like to use that, that everyone probably uses like, you know, Canva and Slack and um, our, we usually use constant contact for our email client. But um Internally, we have both um, proprietary software that actually manages our enrollment and, oh. you know, all of our class information and bookings in the back end of our website. Um, and so that's our own CMS that, that runs and powers that. So we're really lucky that that's ours and we can kind of always be fine tuning it and having it evolve to meet our needs. And then we've also created an internal platform called Twirl that is both um, sort of a, like a connection hub and a resource and branding hub. So there are different sort of levels of access for owners and teachers, but they're all actually on there. So it's cool. Like right now we're running um, a little bit of a, a good natured competition for our teachers to submit ideas for how they're incorporating thankfulness into their um, their classes this month in November when in the States we're celebrating Thanksgiving. Um, and then the, we're going to pick a winner, a winner at random from a drawing and, and they'll get a, a gift certificate for themselves, but then also one some money to donate to charity. Um, so we'll do things like that. They can kind of connect teachers from all over where they can see each other's ideas and they can kind of get, you know, see faces and names from other schools too. Um, but then it also has, you know, a bunch of teacher training is, is located up there on that, that platform twirl. Um, a lot of our owners resources and tools or their templates, guides, things like that are all there and it's just really nice because they can all live in one central place that they can access and find them that is so amazing and I just laughing because you know I think like many studio owners I have tried so many softwares and there's just there's so there is some good ones and nothing ever is like is nothing well nothing's perfect and like not it's not meant to be I guess but I was just like, oh, so imagine hard, right? having, yeah, imagine having one that you're like, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to change this element. It's just incredible, but um, very lucky. No, I'm with you. I think it's it's hard because there isn't, we always kind of found things were either too much or too little. So that was why we finally just said, let's just do our own. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. That's amazing. So I want to thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Genevieve. It's been so amazing to hear about your journey and hear about how uh, your franchise arenas are involved within Tutu School and how really you are running um, such an amazing company that brings dance to so many little people, but like you said, supports entrepreneur dreams and goals all across your country and Canada and potentially the world. So it was phenomenal to talk to you. And if people wanted to find you on socials, obviously I'll include them in the show notes, but do you mind just sharing what's the best way for people to connect with you and follow you? 
Sure. So Tutu School is, you know, on social media everywhere as at Tutu School. And then I'm on Instagram um, at Tutu Genevieve. Um, so yeah, and I love connecting with people and, and I also, um, you know, just kind of love, uh, it's really nice that each teacher school has their own pages too. And so like one of my favorite things is definitely to go and, and see different teacher schools getting tagged and, you know, people's first ballet lesson or, you know, a special event or a performance that they've had at their teacher school and some other state that's hundreds of miles from me, but, you know, to your point earlier about the, the tutu map and, and getting a sense of, of how far our reach is at this point. That's one of my favorite things too. So you can always follow a tutu school near you um, on their own account, but our, our main brand pages are at tutu school and I'm at tutu Genevieve. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to connecting with you in the future. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Assemblé Dance Studio Coaching Podcast with your host, me, Claire O'Shea. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it on your stories on Instagram and tag the show or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Assemblé Dance Studio Coaching. Tune in next week for another episode all about helping you grow your dance studio simply and successfully so you can reach more students, grow your business and become the go-to dance studio in your area. See you then.